I'm Tracy Sable. Tonight on EWTN News Nightly, message from Washington. The Secretary of State is in Israel discussing the next steps in the war with Hamas. Life on the ballot. Early voting has begun in a crucial initiative regarding the unborn in Ohio. Calling for aid. New developments in the plight of Armenian Christians facing a humanitarian crisis. And highway to heaven. Remembering a teenager from Assisi who is on the path to sainthood. These stories and more tonight. From EWTN, the Global Catholic Network, this is EWTN News Nightly. Thank you for being with us on the Feast of Blessed Carlo Acutis. Our top story tonight, the White House confirms tonight that the death toll in the Middle East fighting now includes at least 27 Americans, 14 are unaccounted for. And as the war between Israel and Hamas enters its sixth day, President Joe Biden sends his top diplomat to the region. Secretary of State Antony Blinken promises Israeli leaders that America will always be there by their side. White House correspondent Owen Jensen reports. Owen. Tracy, today, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Israeli President Isaac Herzog in Tel Aviv. His visit comes as the war between Israel and the terror organization Hamas has claimed at least 2,600 lives on both sides. And the war is expected to escalate with a possible ground invasion. In Gaza, near constant Israeli airstrikes, neighborhoods wiped out. The Israeli government hunting down Hamas after it massacred hundreds of people. Today in Israel, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken met with survivors of the Hamas attack. Thank you for being here. It's really important. And while speaking at a news conference alongside Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, Secretary Blinken emphasizing Israel has the right and the obligation to defend itself. Hamas has only one agenda to destroy Israel and to murder Jews. Blinken reflected on how members of his own family faced the horrors of the Holocaust. So, Prime Minister, I understand on a personal level the harrowing echoes that Hamas's massacres carry for Israeli Jews, indeed, for Jews everywhere. Meanwhile, speaking at NATO, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin said the U.S. is working urgently to get Israel what it needs to defend itself. Nobody should try to take advantage of this vile Hamas assault to cause more bloodshed or instability. And last night, speaking to a group of Jewish American leaders, President Joe Biden said he's working on every aspect of the hostage crisis in Israel. Now, the press is going to shout to me, and many of you are, that, you know, what are you doing to bring these, get these folks home? If I told you, I wouldn't be able to get them home. Folks, there's a lot we're doing. Asked where he draws his strength from in troubling times. From my faith. My faith that, uh, that at the core of every human being is a spark of humanity and decency. It's got to be touched. It's got to be spoken to. Also tonight, U.S. citizens and their families who are trying to leave Israel will get help from the U.S. government. The White House just announced it will arrange charter flights out of Israel. The first flight expected tomorrow. The U.S. government is arranging for at least four charter flights a day. At the White House, Owen Jensen, EWTN News Nightly.
Now, while he is in the Middle East, Secretary of State Antony Blinken will also try to secure the freedom of hostages kidnapped by Hamas. As many as 150 people were abducted during last weekend's attack on Israel, including an unknown number of Americans. And we bring in now Joseph Assad, a former CIA officer who has extensive counterterrorism and counterintelligence field experience. Joseph, thank you for joining us. We appreciate this. A mounting a rescue operation into Gaza is a daunting task, to say the least. Can you explain to us? maybe what would be involved in a scenario like this rescuing these hostages? Absolutely. This is a very dire situation, and uh, it is constantly changing on the ground. You have hostages that are potentially being hid in tunnels um, and, and, and safe houses, most likely in the southern part of Gaza. So I think the priority right now, what is involved in any efforts to rescue these hostages is going to be intelligence collection. We need to collect a SIGINT that signals intelligence. We need to rely heavily on our allies in the region. We are talking to Egypt, to Qatar, um, uh, to, uh, uh, any, to Turkey, and others who are in contact with Hamas and Hamas leadership, trying to determine the location. Second, we were trying to determine the conditions of these hostages before we attempt uh, any rescue or any negotiated settlement. Yeah, I mean, a mission like this is so very dangerous. How do you even train for something like this? It is extremely dangerous, and we have the most capable U.S. officers from the military, from other uh, U.S. government agencies uh, that are trained in uh, negotiation skills. Uh, they're trained on vetting. One key thing is to vet the intelligence. Before you embark on something like this, you want to make sure you're not being set up, um, that this is not a ruse. And most importantly is their diplomacy, their ability to talk their way out of a bad situation, but also how to negotiate and get other allies on our side. Uh, this isn't going to be like the movies where people are going to be repelling from, uh, from helicopters. Most likely this is going to be brokered by Qatar or uh, some of our other uh, Arab allies that are in direct contact with Hamas. Yeah. Tell us, um, you know, how can the U.S. run a, a rescue operation like this without having boots on the ground? That is really the million dollar question. Uh, it is extremely difficult, but also it's complicated by sensitivities on the ground. We have been hearing threats from Hezbollah in Lebanon, from Hezbollah in uh, Iraq and from the Houthis in Yemen. If there were boots on the ground, American boots on the ground, that they would consider that a declaration of war, and they will target American interests and bases in the region. So that is a balancing act uh, for our teams. Therefore, you're going to see a lot of secrecy, uh, not, not a lot uh, of information being released about where the rescue hostage teams are, what they're doing. Uh, we may hear of these tales uh, later on after we get these people home safely. That is the number one priority. President Biden said it, and the administration have made it clear that that is the number one priority, is to get those Americans home safely. Joseph, we have about maybe a minute left or so, but I want to get to this. Uh, places such as New York City are really increasing security efforts amid the rising tensions over this war in the Middle East. And I know the NYPD has ordered all officers to report in uniform starting tomorrow, uh, this coinciding with a call from a former leader of Hamas urging Muslims to rise up in anger and protest in show of support for Palestinians tomorrow. Does this concern you? 
And should the U.S. and other countries be concerned about threats from radicals now? You know, we heard from uh, France today that they have banned all pro-Palestinian uh, uh, demonstrations. And I think we have a reason to worry. There is a directive for all Muslims after Friday prayers tomorrow to march on the streets. And we have seen this during the Arab Springs. It has turned ugly. It has turned violent. Um, I think it is reprehensible that we are concerned about this at home and that Jews in our own country here, they feel uh, uh, unsafe that these these demonstrators could go on and destroy shops, uh, uh, synagogues, churches, uh, uh, other property. Uh, it's very difficult to know what's going to happen tomorrow, but I think it's going to be a significant day, not just in the U.S., but across Europe and in the Middle East. Yeah, we shall see. Uh, Joseph, thank you so much for your expertise in weighing in. We appreciate it. Thank you. Well, the Latin Patriarch of Jerusalem is speaking out on the attacks in Israel. Siamo rimasti tutti molto sorpresi, sgomenti per quello che abbiamo visto. Cardinal Pierre Battista Pizzaballa says, once again, we find ourselves in the midst of a political and military crisis. We have suddenly been catapulted into a sea of unprecedented violence. The Patriarch is calling for a day of prayer and fasting to take place on Tuesday, October 17th for peace in the Holy Land. Well, the Lantos Foundation for Human Rights and Justice is among the many groups speaking out against Hamas's brutal attack on Israel and what has transpired since. Foundation President Dr. Katrina Lantos-Swed released a statement saying in part, quote, as the daughter of the only Holocaust survivor ever to serve in the U.S. Congress, I have watched with horror and revulsion the brutal war that has been launched against Israel and the Jewish people. The savagery and barbarism of the Hamas terrorists have stunned some. For many others, it has merely confirmed what has long been known. And joining us now to talk more about this is Dr. Katrina Lantos-Sweat, president of the Lantos Foundation. Katrina, thanks for being with us today. Obviously, this is very personal to you. Let's talk about that and what you think your late father's reaction would be if he were still here. Well, thank you for having me. I'm grateful for your attention to this issue. It has been a very difficult few days. My 92-year-old mother, who is also a Holocaust survivor, lives with me, and we've been glued as many of your viewers and listeners have been to the television. Uh, my father, I think his very first reaction honestly would have been to try to fly to Israel to stand in solidarity with his Jewish brothers and sisters. But I think he would have been saying things similar to what I wrote in, uh, in the statement that we put out. This is not merely a fight between Israel and Hamas, a democratic, rights-respecting, pluralistic society and an evil, barbaric, savage terror group. This is also a civilizational fight. And in that sense, it involves all of us. Um, this really is a battle between the forces of civilization and the forces of barbarism. And it is a time of choosing. What is your biggest concern right now? Well, there are many concerns. Of course, there's the immediate concern about the fate of the hostages that are um, have been taken to Gaza. There is, of course, concern about the many people who will suffer in what is likely to be a very bloody conflict that will unfold on our television screens um, in the coming weeks and months. And that includes innocent civilians in Israel, and it includes innocent Palestinians in Gaza. Um, but there is a big, big moral difference between the Israeli Defense Forces 
and the Hamas terrorists. The Israeli Defense Forces use their fighters to defend civilians. They warn those who are about to be attacked if they're civilians to flee. Hamas uses civilians as unwilling human shields. They use innocent civilians to try and protect and defend their fighters. It's really appalling. It's not only that there's no moral equivalence, there's a, a sort of moral mirror image um, in terms of, you know, one being really very, very evil in the way they do this. So, of course, I worry about um, what is coming because it will be difficult. But in the longer run, mm -hmm. I worry or I have concern that Israel be successful in its efforts to dismantle Hamas and, quite frankly, to free the Gaza Strip from the from the grip of this evil terror organization. They bought and paid for by Iran, the greatest uh, state sponsor of terror in the world. Katrina, I quickly want to talk about this. We're almost out of time, but I want to talk about, you know, the impact that's having here in the U.S. and around the world. I mean, there have been multiple pro-Palestinian and pro-Hamas rallies uh, with people chanting some really vile things about Israel and the Jewish people, uh, reported anti-Semitic attacks in France, a synagogue defaced in Madrid, Spain, and synagogues everywhere, including here in the U.S., on high alert. Your reaction quickly. Anti-Semitism is an evil poison that has existed for millennia. And uh, it sometimes goes underground, but it has never really fully gone away. Um, to anybody, to anybody who is claiming to stand in solidarity with these savage, brutal, disgusting attacks, they have lost their moral compass. They have made a choice to stand on the side of evil. And that will redound to their shame for the rest of their lives and beyond. So their, their shame knows no bounds. In terms of uh, the need for vigilance, it is higher than ever. You know, my late father, Tom Lantos, the only Holocaust survivor ever to serve in Congress, said something that has been quoted many times, but it's so true. He said, the veneer of civilization is paper thin. We are its guardians and we can never rest. Mm. Um, we can't rest. And that pertains to fighting back against anti-Semitism, the hatred of the Jewish people, fighting racism, fighting bigotry, fighting religious persecution, which is rampant around the world. So, you know, we are called to be watchmen on the tower. We are guardians of civilization. And that veneer is really very thin. So I think the message is vigilance, determination, a recognition that we can never rest, um, but also, a, I think, a hopeful belief that ultimately um, we will prevail. Yeah, absolutely. Katrina, thank you so much. We appreciate it. God bless. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And we have a lot more still to come here on EWTN News Nightly, including the search for a speaker, a report from Capitol Hill on infighting among Republicans. And right to life, we discuss the issue of abortion as the election season draws near. It is unclear when the House of Representatives will have a speaker again. There is still infighting among Republican lawmakers. The GOP nominee is struggling to get enough support to win a floor vote. And the House remains at a standstill with no end in sight. Capitol Hill correspondent Eric Rosales joins us now with new developments. Eric. 
Well, good evening, Tracy. If you've ever ever been to a baseball game, then you heard the saying, you can't tell a player without a program. Well, you almost need a program up here on Capitol Hill. Majority Leader Steve Scalise won a very close race against Congressman Jim Jordan for the nomination of the next Speaker of the House. But there's more than a dozen Republican lawmakers who say that they won't support him, and he's no better than McCarthy and will not back the majority leader when it comes to a vote on the floor. But now Congressman Jim Jordan, he's now telling his supporters to vote for Steve Scalise. So it's important we're back functioning as a House of Representatives. We need a speaker, and Steve is the guy for that. And I will, uh, like I said, I've offered to give the nominating speech for him um, when we get back in session, which I hope is soon. I think Steve Scalise is a great guy, but he got 51% of the conference. So my point is this. If we're going to take this floor to the vote, or this, this vote to the floor, I hope you try to get everybody together and figure out how you're going to get all the others to say, okay, Steve's the guy. Others want the former speaker back. The speaker that we had should be the speaker that we need and have in the future. And so until, uh, you know, uh, until conditions change, uh, then I'm going to still put my vote uh, with Kevin McCarthy. Meanwhile, Democrats say they are ready to govern. We stand ready and willing to have a governing coalition, a bipartisan path forward. Uh, that's what we want. Uh, that's what we hope happens. Uh, it's going to take our Republican colleagues stepping up. But Republicans tell me this is all part of the democratic process. A democracy or a constitutional republic that we have, it can be messy. That's kind of the point of this whole thing. And quite frankly, the fact that we can have this open debate, and even though it might seem to be a bit messy, this is how democracy works. Listen to this. Some lawmakers tell me that it could take days or even weeks to iron this out. And remember, we're only 13 days left of legislative days in order to work out another CR or actually balance the budget. That ends on November 17th. But some conservative lawmakers tell me that they wouldn't mind for another six-month CR because that'll put it past the first of the year. And once you do that, then according to uh, uh, the latest budget cuts, budget cuts will actually take place across the board at minus one percent of what we're paying out now. So a lot of conservatives say that they wouldn't mind that. They're looking for more like seven or eight percent budget cuts. At the Capitol, Eric Rosales, EWTN News Nightly. Early voting has begun in the one state with an abortion measure on the ballot this fall. Voters in Ohio are considering issue one. The proposed amendment would, quote, establish in the Constitution of the state of Ohio an individual right to one's own reproductive medical treatment, including but not limited to abortion. If passed, it would prohibit government restrictions on abortion up until what is considered fetal viability, which is around 24 weeks. Well, we are only a few weeks from the third Republican presidential debate, and one pro-lifer is issuing a call to all the candidates. Writing for Town Hall, Benjamin Watson said in part, quote, the stance the GOP presidential nominee adopts with respect to abortion could influence decades' worth of policy and political debate. The author and former NFL tight end also says pro-lifers should be asking candidates, do you really cherish human life and are you going to protect America's most vulnerable mothers? Benjamin Watson joins us now. He spent 15 seasons in the NFL. He also is the author of the book New Fight for Life, Roe, Race and a Pro-Life Commitment to Justice. Benjamin, great to have you back on. Good to see you. Uh, so tell us, why did you write the piece for Town Hall? I mean, what did you hear or not hear in the first two GOP debates that led you to do this? 
But we're in a very uh, precarious time, I would say, in a post-Roe world. Look, we all celebrated Roe being overturned, and rightly so. And now, uh, with the upcoming election and the debates, I think it's imperative that the pro-life movement, that pro-lifers understand the urgency of now. And what we want to hear, what I want to hear from the candidates is an unswerving uh, support for life. Uh, much has been made of a 15-week ban or a six-week ban. And the fact remains that while 15-week bans are, are better than nothing, 90% of abortions occur within the first 13 weeks of pregnancy. So even if that's the talking point for the GOP or any other candidate that's running, they're still missing the majority of abortions. The reason why I wrote, the reason why I talk about this is that we as a pro-life movement need to be pushing our leaders, our, our pro-life leaders, to not compromise on the issue of life. We shouldn't be haggling over how many lives, how many children we are willing to sacrifice. Yeah, and you praise Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie uh, for some of their pro-life remarks. Uh, tell us, you know, what you liked about what they had to say. Well, just the fact that they were first willing to address it, willing to be um, adamant about their stance for life, willing to express the fact that, you know, the goal here is to eliminate abortion. Look, we want to make abortion unthinkable, but also unnecessary. And so uh, also I'll mention this, Tracy, when it comes to the issue of abortion, and especially politically, 76 um, percent of abortion determined women said they would prefer to parent if their circumstances were different. And so part of this conversation is asking these candidates, look, what are we going to do to support women? How are we going to make sure they have proper housing, proper health care, proper education, the things that they need? Because these are the reasons that so many women say they want to abort their child. Yeah. And you also say that pro-lifers need to stop, quote, negotiating with abortionist mm -hmm. uh, terms. Explain to us what you mean by that. Well, I think the, the negotiating kind of goes back to what I said about the 15-week ban. Um, it, we live in a constitutional republic. There's going to be give and take. We know that. We understand that. But we shouldn't be using their terminology. We shouldn't be accepting the fact that it's okay to murder and to kill certain children, but not other children. I truly believe in human dignity and the fact that no matter your location, no matter your stage of development, no matter your race or your sex, every person has value. That should be what we are are upholding and what we are pushing, not trying to compromise and settle on where it's okay for us to allow some image bearers, those who have human dignity, to have their lives terminated. All right, Ben. Thank you so much for coming on. We appreciate it. God bless you. Thank you, too. Up next on EWTN News Nightly, humanitarian crisis. Armenian officials make a plea to the United Nations. Plus, we celebrate the feast day of a young man on the path to sainthood. Armenia is urging the United Nations top court to help prevent ethnic cleansing in the Nagorno-Karabakh region. Nothing other than targeted, unequivocal, provisional measures protecting the rights of ethnic Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh will suffice to prevent the ethnic cleansing Azerbaijan is perpetrating from continuing and becoming irreversible. And court, Azerbaijan's legal team strongly denied any allegations of ethnic cleansing. More than 100,000 Armenian Christians fled the area last month. This after an offensive from Azerbaijani forces. Lawyers representing Armenia say that imposing temporary protections could stop Nagorno-Karabakh from being swallowed up 
by Azerbaijan. Well, finally tonight, as we mentioned earlier, today is the feast of blessed Carlo Okudas. He died on this day back in 2006, but his spirit lives on, especially among young people and those who love computers. Here's a look at his life in a report filed right before the beatification in 2020 from EWTN Vatican News correspondent Colin Flynn. Surrounded by the hills of Umbria and the forests of Monte Sumbasio, Assisi is one of the best-preserved medieval towns in the world and the birthplace of St. Francis of Assisi. And this past Saturday, the town was alive as people from near and far arrived to celebrate the beatification of Carlo Acutis. The celebrations of this beatification actually started a week ago when the tomb of Carlos was opened and put on display. It attracted many young people who were able to see for the first time a soon-to-be saint dressed in ordinary typical clothes of a boy his age. Carlo was 15 when he died of leukaemia in 2006. He had incredibly strong faith and used his knowledge of computer programming to create a special website dedicated to the promotion of the Eucharist. The Mass was celebrated by Cardinal Vellini at St. Francis's Basilica and was watched on a live feed in different squares and churches around the town. Young pilgrims who were in attendance said Carlo is someone they can look up to as a role model. Uh, because he, he lived in the same world as, as we do, he is very close to us and uh, the way we live. And I think it is very um, moving to have um, such an example of a, an exemplary life. Uh, he gives me this hope of uh, our time is just as good as any other to, to be holy. As the sun set over Assisi, it marked the end of another step in the path to sainthood for Carlo Acutis. Colm Flynn, EWTN, News Nightly. Beautiful. And we thank you for watching tonight. Remember, you can follow us on social media, Facebook, X, and Instagram at EWTN News Nightly. I'm Tracy Sable. Good night and God bless.